0: Welcome to podcasts recorded live at the Center for Spiritual Living in Portland, Oregon. Listen past the end of the podcast to find out more about our spiritual center and ways that you may collaborate with us. Welcome everyone and happy Sunday. We're working our way through Brene Brown's book, Daring Greatly. For those of you who are perhaps just joining us, it's been an interesting journey of vulnerability for some of us the idea of being vulnerable a little bit of risk-taking involved if we don't dare greatly it's not surprising that we find ourselves often stuck in life in that place of general uncomfortability so the idea of daring greatly we're willing to put ourselves out there in order to transform ourselves and our experience of life today we're going to be talking about shame yes i actually said that we're going to be talking about shame today with the idea of that being a barrier to our being vulnerable a barrier to us being our authentic selves and i want to start in maybe an unusual place i want you to cast your minds back a few hundred thousand years ago and for those of you who maybe hadn't been born yet if you would imagine what society is like Think of it as the dawning of civilization, or even a little bit before then, when we're a hunter and gatherer kind of group of people. So nomadic in nature, you know, when the seasons are right, we're gathering roots and vegetables. Uh, other times of the season, we're following herds of game animals. And so everyone, of course, in the in the tribe, everyone in the clan has their place. It's very necessary, right? Everyone, and in fact, uh, the way that we basically serve Survive is hugely based on teammanship. A single person with uh, maybe a stick or an arrow unlikely to successfully be able to hunt big game. Uh, a single person, you know, would really not survive in that world. And in fact, all of the evidence points to the fact that people uh, were generally safest and most successful in groups of. You know, 12 to 20 people, uh, more than that, and trouble would break out, less than that, the chances of going through a winter successfully and stuff, uh, marginal. And so, as, uh, you know, Ugg the caveman here, Um, You know, my job, uh, probably I would have been viewed as being uh, stronger and a good runner. I probably would have been helping to round up and chase down games so that they could be captured. Some of the people less able to run uh, would be involved uh, maybe in digging roots and taking care of children. Um, And you can, as you imagine, it might have split a little down the line of whether you were a man or a woman back in those times, mostly because of physical nature. It wasn't that there were Rules particularly, but most likely due to size and ability to run and things like that, things would have laid out as you can imagine in very ancient times. Now, you might be saying, Well, what the heck does that have to do with me today? Trouble is, that was back when our brains were being wired at the most fundamental layers and levels. And so even though we have put a a lovely cerebral cortex on the top of that part of our brain so that we can really reason through things, we can really say, well, now, Larry, I'm not chasing down an antelope today, right? All I have to do is be at my desk and do a little word processing and all will be well. We're not in those times. And yet that piece of our brain is still there. And one of the hardwired pieces of it, I think you're all familiar with. We're used to being called the social animal, right? We're used to that idea of us working in society, and it started from those early tribal or clan days, but we're actually most at ease and most comfortable when we're part of some kind of a social group. And some of us get our social uh, uh, our social input from our families or extended families and friends. Sometimes we plug into larger groups like a spiritual home on Sunday. Some of us plug into our work environments where we kind of view our co-workers as a little bit part of our, our clan or our tribe. But most of us feel best when we're plugged into that. Literally, sometimes We will start getting anxious when that is threatened. And what's happening is it's going back to that older part of our brain that literally saw being separated from the clan as what? Literally as death. If we were left behind, most likely we would not last through a full season. And so that is why some of those early, if you want to think of it, memories of the race around being isolated or not fitting in or not being able to pull our weight signifies that we may be ready to be culled, if you will, or left behind. Now it's interesting, uh, you know, where, of course, that's not, you know, on the top of our heads nowadays. We don't literally worry about uh, death if, uh, if, if a job comes up. But i got to tell you, think about some of the things that we observe in the world, and you'll see it fits. Have you noticed how children, if the parents go through a divorce, it feels to the children almost like they're being abandoned? Now, even though the divorce might be amicable, even though people may be sorting things out in a very honorable and loving way with their children, there is that gut, visceral reaction of, oh my gosh, the clan is abandoning me. My family is going through a change, right? And the same thing can be happen, uh, like if you lose a job or if you lose a spouse, there's that sense of being separated from the things that nurture you or are important to you. And sociologists have determined using uh, brain scans and brain research that it can trigger the same exceedingly levels of fear in us that great drama brings about. So so to us on the inside, something like a divorce, something like losing a job, something uh, that makes us feel like we're being pulled against our way from our family, our friends, our connection circles, trigger those same pieces in our brain that are triggered by great fear and great trauma. So it's not surprising then That sometimes our our feelings are out of proportion to what happened, right? Well, of course we'll live through getting another job. Of course a divorce doesn't mean that I'll be lonely or, or, or or dead, right? And yet the feelings may be commensurate with those old ways of thinking from long ago. Okay, so now let's fast forward to today. How does that affect us today? It affects us today by wishing to fit in with societal norms. Is everyone familiar with the idea of a norm? A norm is something that in general society we have concluded is true or should be true about its members. And so there are different norms for being a parent, different norms for being a woman, different norms for being in business, different norms for what applies at church on Sunday, right? And part of our uh, job as adults is to keep track of all this, right? Certain words I shouldn't say on Sunday, I slip now and then, right? That's a norm. Certain ways of behavior that are appropriate at work or appropriate at home, certain ways of being if you're a man, if you're a woman, And so on. The reason that this is important is that men and women actually experience the ideas of what it is to be in the world differently. And I got to tell you, when I first started reading uh, Daring uh, uh, Greatly, the first couple chapters, I'm like, gosh, I don't feel shame that way. I was thinking initially that Brene Brown maybe had it wrong or that somehow... Like, I wasn't normal. Well, I mean, I know I'm not normal. But uh, (laughs) let's just say I was internalizing that more than usual. It's like, why don't I relate to this? Oh, my gosh. We got to the chapter this week talking about the differences between men and women and how they perceive intimacy, how they perceive what's important in the world. And suddenly, suddenly, it all makes devastating sense. (laughs) So, uh, in the interest of <clears throat> of keeping it short, I actually made a handout for you, so bear with me. And, and first of all, a caveat. Does this describe all people accurately? Well, of course not. Nothing ever does. But this was based on about 25 years worth of research, both by Brené Brown as well as prominent psychologists, on how women view themselves and how men view themselves. Now, so again, the caveat, will this describe you exactly right? Of course not. But when you read through it, notice some of the pieces that ring true. And in particular, uh, they're listed in order that people found them to be meaningful or important. And I want to cover just the first few for men and women of how we view ourselves. So first of all, the first few things that men describe what it is to uniquely be a man is winning, emotional control, and risk-taking. Let's compare that to the top three for women. Being nice, pursuing a thin body ideal, and showing modesty by not calling attention to one's talents or abilities. Are you as scared as I am right now? <laughs> now, if you think about this, it starts making sense why men and women perceive shame differently, right? Now, you might think, for instance, that if you come up to me on Sunday and say something like, you're not fitting down that suit as well as you used to, <laughs> that that would cause deep shame in me. I have news for you. I would just think, what a rude person. (laughs) But you know what? If I said something like that to the minister and she was a woman, she would actually likely feel shamed by that. Even if she also thought I was a jerk, and she'd be totally right, she would have a sense of shame. Now let me use another example. Let's say I lost a job. Let's say I'm uh, you know, working, I don't know, at Tektronix and they laid me off. Do you know that for a man that brings up intense feelings of shame? For a woman, most women would say, well, you'll get another job. Gosh, you're talented and smart. It's no big deal. I mean, I'm sorry they laid you off. And the man would be going, no, 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 no. You don't understand. This is like the end of the world. And the woman would be saying, well, we have savings in the bank account, and it's, you know, you're you're not getting this. And the man would be going, no, you're not getting this. We are actually wired to think about these things a little differently. Now, the reason I brought this about isn't to try to reinforce stereotypes between men and women. Uh, And you might think that that's kind of what this is about, but I would like you to examine this in light of some of the struggles we have in the world today. Uh, in fact, uh, a few of us were talking between the two services even about what's going on in Washington right now. One of the reasons that, that, uh, for instance, women are so deeply troubled by our president is that in the past he's been involved in body shaming, right? Now to us guys, it's like, well, what? Do you see how how even these subtle things are making it a real uncomfortable world to us to live in because we're triggered into feelings of inadequacy and not good enough by such different things? All right. The whole point of Brene Brown is that shame... No matter what causes it and no matter how we're expressed it. So in in this respect, it doesn't matter which side of this chart or make up your own chart around things that make you feel not good enough or shame. It doesn't really matter. What Brene Brown says is that when we fall into that culture of shame, by definition, we're not being authentic And when we're not being authentic, we are not going to be able to be successful in our relationships, in the business world, we're not going to be our highest self. So if guys are always striving for winning, even at the expense of other people, if we're striving for emotional control, even when we're in pain and feeling less than, right? Do you really want us to be risk takers all the time? Do you see the trouble with this for this for us guys? If this is how we see ourselves in the world, we're up for a world of hurt. And likewise flip over the chart, being nice, please. I don't want the women in my life to be nice. Now now oh wait, wait a minute. <laughs> wait a minute. I need to be careful here. I want them to be nice people. Okay, oh, I see, I've lost you already. <laughs> I want everyone to be a nice person, but I don't want women to give up their excellence, their power, their their oomph, in order to fit into some stereotype of under the radar and, and being nice, right? I don't want people spending, and oh, and the article, too, talked about how much in general women spend in terms of their money and their time on number two, the thin body ideal. Oh my gosh, if we use that money for like world peace or world hunger, it's like, oh my gosh, what we could do if we focused on what it is to authentically be just who we are. And allow the critics to be, allow that, that voice inside us that sometimes sounds like my mom and sometimes sounds like my dad that's setting us up to be perhaps ashamed of the way we behave or, or what we've done in life. If we let all of that go, think of the progress we could make in the world. Think of ourselves acting as ourselves. To achieve this, though, we have to be willing to give up some of these notions of what it is to be a man or to be a woman. Now, for me, the idea of emotional control is kind of a big one. I've gotten over the winning thing. It's occurred to me over the years that in order to win, someone has to lose And so that really rankled with me. And I got to tell you, I maybe, when I first started out in my career at the telephone company, that made sense to me, but oh gosh within about a year or two, I realized, no, this isn't about winning and losing. This is about collaboration. If we're to be successful, we all have to collaborate. We all have to be uh, clear of what the goals are. Everyone has to to, to be able to um, uh, to participate to their fully. We each bring unique skills. All skills are to be celebrated and so on. And at the same time, ask me on a given day, how I'm feeling emotionally, and I'll probably just look down. This is something for guys that's huge. From the earliest age, we're told to suck it up, that, uh, you know, good boys don't cry. And... That holds us back, absolutely. Because part of participating fully in life is being authentically who we are. If I'm having an emotional crisis, holding it in is not all that very useful. Being ashamed of how I'm feeling, not useful. And similarly for a woman, can you imagine how it is to tamp down excellence so that you fit in well? to not rise above, to not authentically be who you are in a position of power or leadership because you'll be perceived it's not womanly enough? You know, it's a sad thing, but my observation is there are only two alternatives for being nice, or for being a woman today. There's being nice, and then there's the word that I can't use that starts with a B, (laughs) This is not reality. There is a whole range of behaviors on the planet. And I like to have the people close to me be strong and authentic and, and, and beautiful. And beautiful not meaning a thin body type, but beautiful meaning able to express themselves fully and be exactly who they are in the world whether it meets some classic definition of how someone should look or someone should behave or whatever, that is just silliness for the most part. So how do we get there? Brene Brown is pretty clear that this is one of the things that's holding back society in general and certainly holding us back as individuals. Our desire, our fear of being left behind And, you know, it may trivialize it, but think about when you were in high school or junior high school. Do you remember how the lunchroom was laid out? There was the table of people who looked really good. There was the table of people who were really good at sports. I was at the table of the people who weren't either of those two, but were smart There was the table of people who were none of those things, but were somewhat good artistically, either at band or art class or woodshop. And then, way down the bottom of the totem pole was the table of misfits. Do you see how cruel and unfair this is? And how many people experience something like that in high school or junior high school? See, it's not—I'm not really making this up. It's pretty uncommon. Uh, It's pretty common, I mean, and we need to do our best to reach beyond that. And how we reach beyond that is by talking about it, which, of course, is the guy's worst fear. Talking about it equates to being vulnerable, which equates to being weak, and when you're weak, The clan moves on because you're not pulling your weight. Do you see, talking about emotions for us guys feels like a little bit of death, and it's left over from that, you know, that 100,000 years ago when weakness of any kind was not seen as viable, even. Similarly, for women, being seen in that way of, uh, well, in fact, it was really interesting. If you look at the list on women, uh, the idea of caring for children and being domestic, you know, those aren't things that women are really called to do anymore. Now think about this for a minute. You know, since like the 50s, really, the idea of the homemaker is kind of not a thing anymore. And yet, it's still in these top four or five things that women feel ashamed if they're not perfect at doing it. So by the very definition of the way life is going on, a big group of people is being shamed if they're not good at doing something that isn't even valued anymore. Do you see how messy this is? And the other thing that Brene Brown points out, which I think is interesting too, is that men and women actually will play, without even knowing it, play against each other's shaming things in a way that promotes a shame cycle. And so, for instance, uh, 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 you'll sit down at the table and, well, how is your day today? And the man will say something like, well, I'm kind of, you know, well... Actually, we might not say this because it sounds kind of emotional. But I, but I might say, well, I had some trouble today um, with, with my boss a little bit. And the, and the woman might say something like, oh, um, well, did you think about, um, you know, maybe say how you were feeling or something. The man, because men have to be victorious, would feel that his authority was being challenged. And it would bring up feelings of shame. The man is apt to see it as criticism when it isn't meant that way at all. And one of the big shaming things for men is criticism. So how do we react to it? And then what does the woman do? When the woman is ignored... Look at our sheet again. The woman wants validation that she's okay, that nothing is wrong. (laughs) And when I do this, it sends the message there's something wrong with you. You're not even worth me talking to you about. Which, of course, what does that do? Deep shame. Do you see how we've just shamed all over each other (laughs) without even really intending it? Because that's our natural reaction. Okay, so what do we do in real life? In real life, when we notice these things coming up, we talk about how we are feeling so, so the guys have to just put aside that sense of feeling weak if we expose what our emotions are and say, how I'm really feeling. I'm worried that my boss might fire me. And then if the other partner, if the other person says something like, well, it's no big deal. You, you know, you're really talented. You'll get a job. <gasps> The guy is like, oh, what do you mean I'm going to die? Oh, wait a minute. That's right. I'm feeling like I could die if I lose this job. And we talk that out, how it's no big thing. Likewise, let's say you're in a supermarket and someone comes up and criticizes how your child is behaving in the supermarket. Now, to a guy, this is no big thing to a guy children act up to a guy well so there was some crying and you know we took care of it to a woman having her child care questioned in public now now you guys are going what what and you women are all nodding <laughs> because that is a total shame button Having your ability to raise your children properly is a complete and utter shame button. And so when that's discussed later on in public, we need to work through that. You're a great mom. We're both great parents. Kids cry sometimes in supermarkets. You did a wonderful job. Nothing bad happened. It was just the craziness of those other people, right? So how are you feeling about this? Some of you are just giving me that deer in the headlights look. I want to talk about why this is important, though. This is important because we want to break those cycles that have been laid down since the dawn of time. I would like us to be able authentically to be who we are, who we're intended to be. And sometimes that will be stepping out way outside of gender norms. Sometimes that will be stepping way outside of whether it's comfortable to play certain roles or be a certain way in society. I would like us all to feel free to look as we would like to look, to act as we would like to be, to raise to the excellence of whatever we could be, not holding it back because it doesn't fit in. Does this make sense to you? All right. So what I'd like you to do today is some homework. You've got the sheet. Because I know this doesn't describe us very well, I would like you to make up your own sheet. So your own sheet would say how I describe what it is to be me, and underneath it, how I experience shame. So I'd like you to take you know take a look at both sides. I, I know we don't fit into stereotypical roles. I know we're all very individual. There may be ways that you feel shame that aren't on here at all. And then once you have described what it is to be you... And once you have described how you personally experience shame in the world, then our work is to be able to illuminate that. So for those of you in family groups, for those of you in, uh, uh, in situations where you feel comfortable, share your lists. Talk about literally your vulnerability so that we're not actually feeding into each other's shame cycles. Be that person who's willing up front to say, you know, when people question how I look, even though it's not rational, I feel a big sense of shame. When people question my ability to, I don't know, do a good job at work, I feel deep shame about that. And when we can begin talking about that in a rational way, using the the, the frontal cortex, which is above and beyond those feelings left over from, from primal ages, we can begin making progress in the world. So, okay, we good on homework then? So look through the lists, see what makes sense for you, and then be brave enough to talk about some of the people who are close to you Or maybe even some of the people who are not close to you. Now you might say, well, how do I do that? I'm not going to go over this list with like my boss or something. The idea is familiarity brings illumination. So that next time, let's say you're a guy, next time something about your job comes up that makes you feel, oh, holy heck, Am I going to lose this job? Am I not going to be able to do what I need to do? You can just take a breath and you can go, wait a minute, this is not about me. Of course I'm going to be fine in the world. And likewise, if something comes up for, uh, uh, for you that's maybe someone's questioning your, the, how you're raising your children or, uh, or saying that you seem a little too bold, that's code word, by the way. If a woman is told she seems a little too bold, That's a code word. You be as bold as you can be. Do not have that sense of shame. But unless you're aware that sense of, oh my gosh, am I outstepping what I should be? I want you to immediately take that in and go, yes, and I'll take another step, right? (laughs) Because when we illuminate these places where in the past we have been trained to feel shameful, we can move beyond it and really find our true voice. Okay, so you've got your homework. I just miss telling you the story, though, today. And so, well, you know, usually I do a joke or a story. So here, so here it comes, and magically it ties everything together. It's magic, I swear. So a grandfather, his grandson, and their donkey were going into town. The boy rode on the donkey, and the old man walked. As they went along, they passed some people who remarked how uncaring it was of the boy to ride when his elderly grandfather should have that honor and that benefit. Well, the boy was deeply ashamed of his behavior and insisted that grandfather should ride. So they switched positions. Later, they passed some people who remarked, "'What a heartless old man, making that boy walk all that long way.'" Well, the grandfather was ashamed of his behavior, but the boy would not switch places with him, so they decided they would both walk to make things more equitable. Soon they passed some more people who said they were incredibly stupid when they had a strong donkey to ride, so they both decided to ride the donkey. That would still be equitable." Well, as they approached the town, they met some people who were horrified with both of them riding. What cruel people to overburden a poor donkey. Look at him, you're breaking the poor donkey's back. Well, the boy and his grandfather were both shamed at the thought of hurting their beloved donkey. They talked for some time, and in the end, they decided there was only one solution. He was fearfully heavy, but they decided to carry the donkey into town. And as they crossed the bridge into town, overburdened, they lost their grip and they all fell into the river. And and I know, this apparently is an ancient Sumerian story. And in the ancient Sumerian story, they all drowned. (laughs) Okay, do you see where I'm going with this though, right? When we're pleasing other people, when we're doing what's expected of us, is it at the core of who we are? Or is it the outside world trying to tell us that it knows better of who authentically we are on the inside? Should we be leaving the world up to who we are authentically? Or should we be looking fearlessly at what it is we want to contribute to the world, how uniquely we are to be showing up, that authenticity that can only come truly from our heart. I'm going to close today with a a quote from Brene Brown. She says, I look back on what I've learned about shame, about gender, and about worthiness, and the greatest issue is this. If we're going to find our, our way out of shame and back to each other, vulnerability is the path and courage is the illumination to set down those lists of what we're supposed to be is brave to love ourselves and to support each other in the process of becoming truly authentic is the single greatest act of bravery that there is let us pray There is one power and one presence, one life and one goodness. There is only this thing called life. And what I know about it is it describes everything, every person, every place. It is the joy of existence. It is the, the love that passeth all understanding. It is the sweetness of life, the peace, the abundance, good health. God is truly the source of all. And because God is the source of all, I know God is also my creator. And God is the source of every good and every good person on this planet and beyond. Truly God, the originator of all. And because of this, it means me. I'm part of that. Each one of us is a a definite part of the entire whole. Each of us has that capability of love, of life of joy, of peace, and when we live from our authentic selves, that is the the vehicle from which the entire world is lifted up and raised. Each one of us bringing our part, each one of us uniquely being who we are without worrying about how we look, how we show up, what other people think. Each of us authentically being part of God's kingdom. And so on this day, I claim that ability to put aside notions of shame. I put aside that necessity to conforming to uh, to systems set up centuries ago that may have no sense in the world today. I affirm and know that each one of us stands for ourselves beautifully and that as we invite in by participating with other people that we are all lifted up. We all participate by saying what's going on with us for being authentically true with our emotions for allowing other people and ourselves to make mistakes without feeling inferior. Each one of us gets to be just who we are warts and all and it's fine. It's good. It's beautiful. And so for this, for this, I stand in gratitude. For this, I recognize that I release this prayer into the activity and action of the law itself, that God that stands with open arms, arms, that God willing to give us to the keys to the kingdom always. I let it be, and together we say, and so it is. Thank you for being here today. So glad you were here.